Hello, and thank you for listening to Episode 2 of Renewables, a podcast by Biostar, which aims to explore the current and future energy landscape in America. Hi, everybody, and welcome back to our second episode of Renewables. I'm very excited about our guest, Jeff Fromm, this week. Uh, Jeff is the author of four books, some of which you may have heard of or read. The first one, correct me if I'm out of order, was Marketing to Millennials. There's also Marketing to Gen Z, Marketing to Millennials with Kids, and most recently, The Purpose Advantage, which uh, has struck a particular nerve in my business and in the energy efficiency and renewable energy business as ESG, you know, kind of has been dominating the headlines, especially pre-COVID. I want to talk a little bit later about what ESG means during and post-COVID and, and the importance of it. And But with all that, I, I just want to say, Jeff, thank you for being here. We're really excited to have you today. Well, thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to a conversation with you and uh, let's let's dive in. Yeah, likewise. And just a little more background. I think Jeff grew up kind of around the corner from my mother and uh, I believe they went to school together and Jeff and I went to the same school. We were in, in Kansas City. We were a few classes apart, but just a couple of grades apart, just a couple of grades apart. So anyhow, yeah, let's dive in. Um, I, I want to just dive into purpose and your most recent book, which which I really loved is very well written. And I love the way you intertwined uh, different businesses and stories about those businesses into the book. It's an easy, fun read. And, um, you know, talk to me about purpose and and why it's so important to the modern day consumer. Sure. Well, again, thanks, David. Uh, so in the book, The Purpose Advantage, one of the first thing we, we do is define what is a purpose advantage. And, and so it's it's got four criteria. Uh, to have a purpose advantage, a brand has to have functional benefits, emotional benefits, sustainability benefits, and then metaphorically, they use purpose as a verb, which means they take brand action. And as we're talking about the COVID crisis, brand action is a big topic, right? Because inside of this health crisis, we now have a racial equality crisis going on in this country, uh, a topic that's very important that we should have been discussing. And, and discussion is not enough, brand action. So it's those four criteria that we define in the book. Uh, having said that, you know, it comes in different forms. Uh, in terms of how brands bring that to life. That's great. And, um, you know, specifically in my business, it's super interesting because we're seeing um, more and more states setting renewable energy portfolio standard goals. And by way of that, more and more businesses are buying these renewable energy credits. And uh, we're really noticing sort of a trend towards um, you know, if I build, if I have a plant in Maryland and I go and just buy, excuse me, buy um, carbon offset credits from a wind plant in Texas, uh, it seems like there's a trend toward, you know, that not really getting as much credit, if you will, in the mind of the consumer or in your ESG reporting as it does say if you put the solar or some sort of renewable energy plant on your site in Maryland and directly offset your own power on site. Um, do you have any, can you speak to that at all? Have you seen that at all 
do you feel like, um, I mean, obviously sustainability is a big part of the book. Um, have you seen that at all? And, and where do you see sort of this ESG reporting world going? Because it seems to me like right now, it's a little bit unclear, um, you know, who reports where and how you go about all of your ESG and sustainability reporting. So interested to kind of dive into that topic. Sure. Let me give you a couple thoughts and an example or two as well. It's a little bit of the Wild West right now because this is all fairly new, but it's in part driven by modern consumer culture, which says that when quality of product or service is similar, when price is similar, when other factors converge, what separates company A from company B often becomes the values of that company. And values can often be around things like sustainability. Now, if somebody has a materially better product or materially lower price, that's a different example. So in the book, one of the examples I share is Seventh Generation. Now, Seventh Generation is a much lesser known brand than Tide. I mean, Tide is known globally around the world. I could say, what's the orange bottle of detergent in the grocery store? Even if I don't say the name of the detergent, most people would say Tide. Seventh Generation, not so much. So how does Seventh Generation not only compete, but win against Tide. And when I say win, their rate of sales was much higher and they charge 10% more at store shelf than the well-known brand. They do that because of their sustainability. And they appeal to a consumer who's willing to pay a dollar more at shelf for a brand that does good for the environment. Price of admission is cleaning my clothes. Both brands clean your clothes. Tide does a great job of cleaning clothes. So it's the seventh generation. So we live in this world where differences can be very small and sustainability can have a significant impact when a lot of factors converge. Now, seventh generation isn't gonna get $2 a bottle more. It's a buck, yeah. right? Yeah. And so that's, but a buck is a big deal when you're selling millions and millions of bottles and when you're trying to compete uh, against this larger, most you know, well-defined sort of uh, industrial revolutionary brand. And so these newer brands, these brands that are more modern, they're often looking at sustainability as a way to win with internal and with external audiences, so with employees and consumers. And I think it's really important to think about it through the lens of winning inside and winning outside. Because if sure. we look at the top 10% of brands, the brands that outperform in the public sector, and we've looked at this data, they really tend to have a view toward having a whole brand. And that whole brand would usually include a sustainability strategy. Now that might not be about the environment, it might be a different topic, but the environment's certainly a large one. And, and within the environment topic, you know, solar is a clean, reliable source of energy. And more and more companies that manufacture are gonna look at how they reduce their footprint and bring innovation to light and bring innovation with a supply chain that's friendly to the, the planet. So I think, uh, I think there's a a lot to unpack there. And, I, and I, I start to dabble into ways to think about that through the book in terms of frameworks. Yeah. Well, you, the, the last piece um, that you mentioned, first of all, my wife loves seventh generation. So that was a chapter in the book that struck a particular nerve with me. Uh, we, we like their product a lot. And it does, it does, I think, make you feel a little bit better. And you talk about that, that the the consumer is discerning in the modern day and for a dollar they will you know do something that will make them feel a little bit better um so dig in a little more if you don't mind on that that consumer that modern consumer mindset 
uh, because I thought that was really interesting. And I think I've noticed in my business, you know, seeing companies not only reinventing purpose in themselves, but also encouraging people in their supply chain, like you kind of touched on at the end there, to do the same and, and saying that if we're going to do business with you, uh, you know, it's important that you have the same goals and aspirations that we do. Of course, Larry Fink from BlackRock comes to mind uh, recently talking about divesting in companies who aren't putting sustainability first. Um, so I think it's been super interesting that the consumer has driven that a lot faster than I expected. Yeah, so I think this is uh, largely a consumer-driven event, uh, much like many things, uh, companies are going to be fast to follow, uh, particularly leading companies, and they're going to try to take meaningful actions. And, and and I'll just maybe give a few examples to sort of paint a spectrum. Uh, at one end of the spectrum, you have brands like Patagonia. Patagonia is famous for being a sustainable brand, but they, a year ago, took their sustainability strategy and threw it out the window. And they said, it's no longer okay to just do no harm, which was the foundation of a strategy that built their company into a multi-billion dollar business. Mm -hmm. Now it's protect and defend. So they moved and made a major pivot from do no harm to protect and defend, which is entirely consistent with reimagining their, their brand purpose. I could look at the other end of a spectrum and look at a brand like like Mod Pizza, which is very focused on internal. And so, you know, their internal audience is the people that we meet when we go into a pizza chain. And, you know, does the world need another pizza chain, David? The answer is it's America, so yes. But, you know, they're the newest entrant in the, in the pizza category. They're the youngest chain. They're a billion dollars in sales. They're growing like crazy. I'm sorry, maybe it's a billion dollar in market valuation. I need to go check that. They have several hundred units. Um, and if you interview the CEO, what you find is they have a couple hundred basis point improvement in customer satisfaction and uh, lower employee turnover because they're focused on the employee and creating uh, a work environment that attracts and retains employees, including people who might have had uh, a scrape in prison or people who might have uh, had a, a poor work history, but have shown that they should be able to be employed. And so by putting that first, it's a, it's a smart strategy. So there's this broad spectrum from sort of what I think of personally, you know, traditional sustainability around things like the environment of which solar is a huge part, which is very important to consumers to even more, you know, sort of new edge things like what's your employment culture. And the reality is a lot of these companies that focused on environmental topics win inside because they attract people who are committed to the cause. And at the end of the day, it takes that whole brand approach. So you're going to have to deliver, you know, a flavorful product. If you're in the food business, you're going to have to deliver a comfortable product. If you're in the fashion business, right? I mean, but it's the whole ecosystem. It's, and it's at a price point that is a small premium in my little example on the seventh generation, it's a buck a bottle and, sure. you know, and the consumer who's discerning, it's a small premium. So I think the, the big change we will see in Wall Street over, over time is that these companies will actually outperform their peer group. Uh, before the COVID crisis, seventh generation was dramatically outperforming Tide, the bigger brand, mm -hmm. the well-known brand. 
And so when one brand is outperforming the other brand, you know, Wall Street wakes up. Now your comment about Larry Fink is spot on. He's also made it really clear that Adam Smith's notion that companies are in business strictly to make a profit is just plain wrong. And we've mm -hmm. seen from consumers today, there's nothing wrong with making a profit. Making a profit's good. Seventh generation makes a profit. They take some of that profit and reinvest it in innovation to continue to reduce their footprint. So it's creating that loop and in the loop, figuring out how to connect your sustainability strategy to a consumer who prefers that, to profit, to innovation. And when we do that, what we see is more and more development, including more and more use of things like solar, because at the end of the day, if it's going to have a positive impact, then consumers are going to notice it. And, and we live in a world where we all have one of these, and this yep. is not a phone. Nobody is calling me or you. This is the way I check out brands and figure out which brands are at the top of my list. Yep. That's a great point. And, you know, when we're out looking for customers to work with and, and projects to develop, we're trying to figure out who, obviously, which companies are focused on ESG and sustainability because we think we have a better, better opportunity to do projects with them. It seems to me like, and you talk about this in your book, uh, it really has to be a part of who the company is, though, and really be um, a part of their culture. And it, it seems to me like if ESG goals specifically, I keep coming back to those, are important in the C-suite, then you're going to feel that all the way down. And we're even seeing, which is super interesting in the renewable energy business, where customers are actually asking for cost-neutral projects. Uh, that achieve their ESG goals because they might be in states where from an energy rate standpoint, it's really hard to find a lot of savings, but they can do something that's cost neutral and dramatically reduce their carbon footprint. So um, that's been really fascinating to see. That's going to matter to a discerning consumer. Seventh generation's entire model isn't about lower cost detergent. If you're looking for the lowest cost, Tide's got, a, you know, got it beat. It's sure. that combination of price, quality, and uh, low environmental impact. And I think more and more brands are going are gonna to lean into that, uh, not just in the food space where we've already seen it happening, but just across the board. Yeah. Yeah, it's super interesting. Talk about COVID a little bit. Are there any trends you see as is, is ESG and, and sustainability and purpose more or less important? I, I think I know what your answer is going to be, but... It seems to me there's been sort of this momentary, oh shoot, you know, kind of all hands on deck period of time that we're starting to get through. Uh, but but are these topics more or less in, important in a COVID and post COVID world? So, um, you know, the, the answer is not 100% clear at the moment. But I think we have some signals in the very early stages of the COVID crisis. If there's no toilet paper, I don't care if my toilet paper is ESG compliant or not. But that's a very ephemeral period of time. Sure. And it doesn't last very long. So in the early stages, in those first few weeks, ESG didn't matter. It was simply about, is the product available? I'll abandon the product I prefer for a product I don't prefer just because it's available. However, once we start to normalize sort of the shelf and start to see that, uh, that, that we're not going to run out of basics like toilet paper, uh, then 
ESG becomes important again because you know it's for me and my family. And so as we think about it, not all consumers are going to care about ESG. There is a segment that is going to buy low price yep. and, and, and probably not care much about ESG. And if your brand is designed to focus on a low price segment, then, you know, that that's fine. But for brands who want to attract a little more discerning consumer who want to get a small premium for their product or a large premium for their product, then the conversation is going to probably need to include ESG. Now, one of the things we've seen in the COVID crisis is the emergence of the conversation on racial inequality. Uh, and that's an important conversation. And we're going to see other conversations emerge as well. The key point here is that brands need to understand talk is cheap, action matters. You can talk about building the solar, but if you don't build it, doesn't matter. You can talk yeah. about making improvements, but if you don't make them, doesn't matter. And we live in a world where there's so much transparency because of that phone I showed you, right? Like it, I can snoop and check you out. And so I think what we're going to see uh, longitudinally is that the topics can become more and more important over, over time. Uh, but for that ver very brief period we had when it first hit, it became very low importance because... Yeah. Certainly as strange a time uh, as I can remember in my lifetime. Um, shifting back a little bit to your experience, one of the things that I think is so cool about your job and what you do is you get to talk to a lot of different businesses. You get to learn what's important to a lot of different businesses and specifically CEOs and, and other types of leaders in that C-suite or, or operational leaders in their businesses. Are there any interviews that uh, that stand out to you? I'm sure there's probably one or two or 10, but are there any in particular that, that really stand out to you, um, you know, particularly in the last couple of years as you've uh, been writing and, and working on the purpose advantage? Yeah, that's a great question. Um... You know, I've probably interviewed well over 100 CEOs of companies uh, from small to medium to very large. Um, if I were to maybe highlight one, and I, and, and I don't want to say it was the most important, I'm, I'm just going to highlight it. That was a little surprising, might have been Ben and Jerry's, because uh, I was calling the CEO to really, you know, get some sense of their thoughts around things like innovation and topics like that. And the CEO spent a good part of the 30 minutes we had on the phone really talking about internal culture and talking about prison reform. Now, this conversation was a year ago. So hmm. this was not a conversation during COVID or during the conversation that's taking place on Black Lives Matter. This is a conversation that was a year ago on inequality and prison reform that was, hmm. that was part of the, what he wanted to share with me about what's important to his view of his brand. He didn't go through his sales growth or his profit line or any of that. And uh, so I happened to be on vacation in Vermont a couple weeks after. And I, and I saw a sign for Ben and Jerry's tour because I wasn't too far away. And I decided to take the tour. Now, I didn't call the CEO and say, I'm taking the tour. I just went. Okay. So I go in, having just had this interview, and I take the tour. And uh, what, was, what was really surprising is the average employee who works at Ben and Jerry's knows the story absolutely as well as the CEO. In other words, what I heard from the handful of people I met going on the little ice cream tour was entirely 100% consistent with what I heard from a highly compensated executive. And that's hard to find. It's not hard to find uh, executives at corporations who really have a clear view of their business. 
but it's it's amazing to find that same level of clarity with someone who works part-time and punches a time clock right yeah uh, so that probably was one of the more memorable things that has happened but but i think one of the things that i've um you know i've learned i guess from these interviews is the best way to win with consumers is to win inside first win with employees and the esg and sustainability strategies tend to create a culture of passion and that culture of passion sort of like the 12th man on the field right it's the it's the je ne sais quoi that gives companies a little bit of extra hustle and, and swagger and they tend to attract a consumer who's like-minded again it's not for everyone there are going to be some consumers who are going to buy low price and they're going to sure. say i want that but uh we're seeing more and more emerging large brands compete with behemoths uh who mm -hmm. have adopted sustainability strategies and they're winning. And I think that's one of the key ingredients. It's not the only thing. It's usually, you know, two things. In the food category, it's often, you know, innovation and sustainability. In other categories, it can be different. But when you marry two factors together, uh, and, and again, it varies by category and based on your brand strategy, uh, you will find that that two-factor marriage can be very disruptive to the incumbent. Hmm. That's super interesting. Um, I wanted to just know, related to COVID, how are things at Barclay? How are things in your business? Um, you know, uh, what are you kind of hearing? Um, you know, it's, I have to ask the question because it's so top of mind. It's been interesting in Kansas City. Now we're seeing kind of a second wave of closings. Obviously, you're working from home. Uh, I'm here in our office with a, a limited staff uh, about 50, 60% of us are working from home. How are things going on your end related to COVID? Well, one of the things I'm most proud about was the decision that our CEO and leadership team made at the very beginning to put employee safety as a non-negotiable item. So sure. uh, the only people who are allowed in the office are, are, have to have pre-approval to come in. Uh, so you're talking about sort of 1% of the audience that might be working in an IT role who needs to come in and you know maintain a server or something like that. So uh, so we've obviously made a lot of shifts um, and we're getting good at, at using uh, Zoom like this to not only collaborate internally, but collaborate with clients. Uh, there are certainly some, um, you know, customers that have been impacted by this, but by and large, um, you know, most of the clients have started to, you know, resume normal operations. Um, uh, we've been fortunate that uh, employees have been able to uh, you know, do their work from home for the most part. And, um, you know, it's, it's been fairly positive given the, the, the crisis. Um, we've, we've made some changes. For example, we, um, we have twice a week fast staff meetings that include our CEO uh, in order to make sure everyone feels very well informed and he'll take questions from anyone. Uh, and, and that's really important. That's a level of transparency that, uh, that's uh, welcomed. I don't think when the crisis ends, we'll go back to traditional staff meetings because what we learned in this crisis is this is a really great way, especially when you have close to 400 employees in four different time zones. Uh, it's a way to let everyone uh, participate uh, virtually as opposed to some folks are, uh, you know, in person and some virtual because in, in, in before the COVID crisis, our staff meeting would be a physical meeting in our primary Kansas City office, but then the folks who are important and not in that office are joining virtually. And so I do think there's some things changing, I think, uh, uh, for the better. And um, hopefully, uh, hopefully we're able to continue to 
do what we do safely and and help uh, help clients along the way. Sure. Well, there's definitely a lot to be learned. I, I would echo some of your same sentiments. I'm super proud of our team. I think we've been really efficient. Um, and frankly, I'm proud to be working with some of the brands that we're working with who are still, you know, kind of taking things uh, fluidly and have been able to adapt and particularly in the manufacturing space where, you know, there's a, a bigger demand in some cases forever uh, than ever for their products, but they're working with skeleton crews because they're trying to be safe, keep their employees safe and, and make sure that the virus doesn't get into their operations. So it's been really interesting to hear, you know, all the different perspectives and how people are responding and figuring out ways to continue delivering their their products to market. Yeah, one one thing that's true is great companies find creative solutions to, to problems, and uh, you know that's happened a lot. Uh, Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, we really, really appreciate the time today. Fantastic to have you on here. And um, I want to give you an opportunity to, is there a way to find the Purpose Advantage online? If our viewers uh, haven't read it, how can they find it? You could you could definitely find it on online at Amazon. Uh, every copy sold, 100% of the proceeds go to the Brand Lab, uh, a not-for-profit helping uh, people of color advance in marketing. Uh, if you don't want to purchase a copy for whatever reason, uh, you could contact me. I'll give you a free digital copy, jfrom at barkleyus.com. Uh, or if you happen to be in airports, and there aren't too many people in airports these days, I think it's still in airport bookstores on the front shelf. Uh, and I think it'll be there for there a while. Low uh, business travel is right now. But I'd be happy to talk to anybody and um, happy to give you a digital copy or you can grab a copy on Amazon and know that the money's going to the brand lab. Excellent. Really appreciate it. Thank you, Jeff. Have a great weekend and um, take care. Stay healthy. Thank you. Bye.